Well, hey, everybody, how you doing? Everybody doing good? Great to see you guys. Would you thank Chris and our worship team one more time for that? Encouraging us to make sure that we believe in uh, the only one who can make a difference in our life. Great to see you guys. End of the year. You always wonder if anybody's going to show up on the end of the year, but you did. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, boy, is it good to see you. I thought nobody would come. You know, I think there's just something about being able to celebrate God even when it's a little more quiet. And like Doug said, last weekend was an absolutely incredible weekend to have so many folks. And the, the, the beautiful thing for me is uh, to understand that the Northside family, that our family's been able to be a part of for almost 20 years, and in, in, in next spring it will be, is to see how the growth and the heart and the love of how you guys are not content to just say, hey, I made it. I checked that one off. Oh no, some of you you came back and you brought friends on Monday. And that is the, the key thing, I think, that helps so much in our life to be able to say, we want this message of Jesus Christ to be one that's not only experienced, not only believed in by us, and we're headed to heaven, and good luck to you, but we want to make sure that other people make it into the family of faith as well. Amen? That's our hope. So I'm so glad to be with you guys, give Nathan a little bit of a break this weekend and be able to dive in on uh, this generic weekend of before I forget. And, and I forget a lot. I forget more all the time, it seems like. And I'm trying to write a few things down. And I thought, you know, we usually, at the end of the year, everybody has all these dreaded uh, you know, uh, things that here's what we're going to, resolutions, here's what we're going to do. And they're always the same thing, aren't they? They're always the same thing every year. Uh, how many have ever said before, I'm going to get in better shape? How many might, like me, have just said, I think I'll say that next year again too, okay? It's always a constant thing. Some of it might be about the things, our time, our money, uh, uh, the, the disciplines we want in life. But I want to ask you this weekend, and I know you have a big blank outline there, you don't have to worry about it, but if you want to write some things down, rather than ask you to make any kind of resolutions, or, or rather than tell you the things before we all forget, I want to ask you some questions that I hope will lead to convictions. And I've got four questions that I hope will really help you be able, to, and, and me, to be able to just say, now as I end this year, as I put it in perspective, as I frame it and kind of tuck it away, what are the things that I really need to know and have a deep conviction about? And those things, I, I think, question number one is simply this. Am I in touch with my origin? Now, some of you are thinking, oh, I had no idea we're going to talk about Ancestry.com tonight. Well, we, we will a little bit. Uh, our, our daughter, Rachel, loves that type of thing. And she has discovered, if, you, if you're not sure what we're talking about, it's those commercials where some guy comes out and he thought he was German. Come to find out he's Scottish, you know. And he trades in the lederhosen for the kilt and all that, finding out where you really came from. I think it's a wonderful thing, wonderful thing to be able to try to to do that a little bit. And uh, Rachel, that, that's just a little bit of her hobby and her pastime. And she's found out a whole lot about us and different things, uh, uh, nationality, heritage, and all that, and family tree. I asked her today, I said, if you had to tell me something, Rachel, what would be the, the thing you really need to know? She said, you got to understand, you have to have four sources before you can put that for other people to be able to tie together on what your ancestry really is. That's one of the things. She says, and you have to 
determine, are you going to be a, a person who just gathers, or are you going to do the research? And I said, well, what's the difference? She said, well, people in family tree stuff, if they gather, they just put it in the tree, put it in the tree, put it in the tree, and we've got enough sources saying about this is their heritage, this is where they're from, and they gather it and they can put it together, and that's fine. She said, I'm more of a researcher. She said, I want to find out what happened and what were the circumstances around that. Now, in, in about 1962, I was uh, eight years old, and our family had like the first conscious family vacation I can remember. But we could never have a vacation that was just a vacation. We had to, it had to be doing something else because we had to get back to the farm or the hogs get out. That's a whole other thing. And we went down to Casey County, Kentucky, Liberty, Kentucky. Anybody know where that is? Neither do I. I was there, you know, in 1962, one person. And we went down there because my great-grandmother on my mom's side uh, was an orphan from Kentucky and migrated up to Illinois. And we wanted to find out. Well, we, we, we all travel, mom and dad, uh, my sister and I, and my, my grandmother, and we all go down in the car and, and, and make it down to Liberty, Kentucky, only to find out, to get some of the heritage on that, to find out that the courthouse had burnt down years before. And I think sometimes, why didn't we just call? <laughs> you know, why didn't we find out? But we came back and literally stopped in New Albany, Indiana. I can remember that. It's the only time I'd ever been there. And I took my first shower in New Albany, Indiana. <laughs> yeah, I know. Trivia that you really don't want to know about. And George, this is something we need to remember. I'd like to forget that. No, I'm a kid who grew up with one of those, uh, what, those bathtubs with some kind of claw feet on them. Is, anybody knows what I'm talking about? That, I, I, that's all we kind of had. So we uh, were bath kind of people, not shower. I, I became a shower person once we get into junior high and PE and all that. But I literally that night stayed, we stayed in a, a place somewhere in New Albany after we'd just gone to a curb service place in New Albany. I don't know what it was, but it was really neat because they bring you your food right there and, and stayed there in, in a, 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 a motel that night. The reason I remember that is taking the first shower ah, as a little kid, man, this is fun. But I noticed there was a little sign in the shower right there in the motel, and I moved the, the, the little sign. It doesn't matter. I get to take a shower. I'm diving in, and a little kid, this is going to be fun. And, and uh, I, the, the floor is kind of sticky in these showers. Well, I'll be doggone. Isn't that something? And I walk on out, and pre-smurf days, I leave blue f uh, uh, footprints all the way on the tile out. They had just painted the shower, and it says, do not take a shower. And until 1976, when I moved down into southern Indiana, uh, I'd never been back. I've been trying to leave my footprints in New Albany since 1962, all right? There's something about, we, we kind of ruled that trip as a, a bust because we couldn't find out anything about our ancestry that we thought we could. Now, what's fun is Rachel has cracked the code. She's gone around that courthouse uh, being burnt down and been able to somehow figure out and contact other people. You could spend a lot of time, and many of us might, and there's nothing wrong with that, finding about your ancestry here. But at the end of the day, the question I have for you is, as a Northside family, do we have a, a deep conviction, not just a resolution, here's what I'm going to do, here's what I'm going to start, and all the self-help things that we'll all hear about on TV for the next few days, but do you and I have a deep conviction about who we really are and who God says that we really are, or will we always wander out there and try to find out some other things about ourselves spiritually?
In Genesis chapter 1, the first part of verse 26, it says, God said, let us always remember this verse is the plurality of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You are made in the image of God. How many of you have kids? How many of you have kids that genetically look a little bit like you? How many have kids that are starting to behave, unfortunately, a little bit like you? I hate to tell you, it only gets worse, okay? It does. We're in the image of God. You may say, how can you tell the image of God? God doesn't have a body. Absolutely does not. He's a soul. He is a spirit. And he placed his spirit a spirit within us that gives us our personality. And when we become followers of Jesus Christ, he places his Holy Spirit in us. But our origin is we are made in the image of God. Now, a lot of people might say, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. Uh, maybe there's a God who made us all a long time ago, but he doesn't really care. And let me read Psalm 139 to you because he really does care. Here's what David says in his prayer. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Put that one in your pro-life memories, all right? God says, you matter so much to me, regardless of how you got where you are in your Ancestry.com and your family tree, whether you're Anglo, Afro, Latino, from Asia, or Native America, whatever you want to call where your heritage is from, it doesn't matter. You and I are made in the image of God, and you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the person next to you has been fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. Too many times in our life, we all of us, we, we know that down deep, and then we just kind of let the world and, and the view that, hey, we all just kind of came around, and, and the world view of evolution is simply that you are just matter, and if you and I are just matter, then it doesn't matter. But we are far more than matter. You're not an accident. God has given us this life and this opportunity. And whatever rev resolution you may have this year, I hope your conviction is born out of answering that question. Do you know who made you? Do you know that as God made you in his image that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? And are you willing to share that with somebody else? Now, the second question is, am I aware that my selfish struggles got me in this mess? Or are you and I willing to say, you know what, the world is messed up and it's because of sin. And my life, if it gets out of whack, it's because of something I've done that's, that's not right, hasn't honored God. Or there may be a few kind of circumstances around us that happen, and we may be victimized a little bit here or there. But for the most part, I've made some problems in my life, and I'm having to deal with a lot of that. Isaiah 53, he begins to have a, a prophecy about Jesus coming, the Messiah, and he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, every selfish act will call for a, a, an unselfish act from somebody else. 
That's why all the selfish acts that we've had in our life, in all of history, called for that one supreme sacrifice by Jesus to come and live and as we celebrated him coming as a baby. In a few months, we will celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection in a very uh, annual type of way. We do that every weekend, but that'll be at Easter time, the time we celebrate that. Do you realize today that our selfishness has kind of got us where we are? Romans 3, 23, Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I've found out that if I'm not careful, even as a believer in Christ, if I just all of a sudden go to sleep at the wheel, I can allow some other things to kind of take me over. How many have been distracted in your life? Four. Squirrel? Okay. Anybody those out there? Uh, how many like me are probably just, you're going to be distracted in the next five minutes, Okay. It's, it's, for some of us, it's just going to happen. Now, there's one, the big difference between a distraction and a preoccupation, okay? That could lead to an addiction. There, there's a, a big difference between understanding that a, there's a difference between a, a glance and a stare. Ask any guy in the crowd, okay? There's a big difference between a glance and a stare. Now, when it comes to understanding some things that can cut in on us, I've found that there are three big things that really get a hold of us if we're not careful and lend themselves to keeping us in those selfish struggles all of our life. Number one is pride. Number two is anger. Number three is fear. Pride, anger, and fear. Say those three things with me if you would. Pride, anger, and fear. I love that commercial, if you've seen it, where this uh, kind of uh, grandpa fella, I think, or maybe an older dad, who knows, who really cares, but all of a sudden he starts walking like this, you know that commercial, like in Citibank, and he's got two little grandkids, it looks like, and I had to Google that song, because that's a fun song, something's got a hold on me, it's Etta James from way back, and something's got a hold on me, love that commercial, because you just see the fun of him playing with his grandkids. But it's not fun when something has a hold on you and me that we really can't let go of. And I think sometimes that's where those New Year's resolutions are born out of. We say, okay, God, never again am I going to let that just really eat my lunch, own my heart and character, and keep me where I am, and, and bind me up, and, and, and keep me not free to, to overcome that. There's a big biblical list of people who had some self-struggle, selfish struggle lists. You take a look at Adam, the very beginning of creation, and he almost says, if I can just hide from God for a while, I'm going to figure this whole thing out. How many have ever said that? <laughs> if I can just, give me a little time here, God, i got to figure this out because i got to get out of this. You look at Cain, and his phrase was, am I my, help me out, brother's keeper. Okay, here's the first fella saying, listen, he, this is not my job, not my responsibility. We're not asking you. God wasn't asking you, Cain, to take care of your brother. But he did ask you to respect him and love him and not kill him. He allowed fear and anger and pride all together to overwhelm him. Now, Noah had a whole nother problem. If you know what happened to Noah, he uh, made a vineyard, he let the grapes get a little sour, and he got drunk, and he did some stupid stuff. 
Uh, Noah, basically, it was kind of my bad. I thought it was a two-drink minimum would have been what would have been said about him. He just was kind of one took over the line with a little Huber sweet Marcella. That was the problem that Noah had. And he, uh, he, he didn't intend to do that, but it just kind of happened. Many of the things that perhaps we've done in our life, there's just been something that kind of happened, and it's affected us for a long time. Abraham lied when he came into a new country about his wife. Twice. He did it more than one time, thinking, what if they know she's my wife? He's afraid they're going to kill him. Isaac made a, a, a kind of a, a statement that this is my favorite son. I love Esau. I don't really care too much for Jacob, because Esau and I, we hunt, we fish, we do all that kind of stuff. And Jacob, you go right ahead and watch the Food Channel with your mom. No big deal to us. He played favorites. And if you know the Bible history, once you play favorites, it's not just a one-time mistake. It's going to keep recurring back. You would think that after Isaac did that, Jacob would have known enough not to do that. But no, when he gets a big family, he says, all right, this one is my favorite son. I don't know what it was like or what it would have felt to be like the favorite son, but I'm going to be the favorite dad, and this is my favorite son, and that was Joseph. And he duplicated that same mistake. If you've ever heard that verse in the Bible that sin visits the third and fourth generations, that's what it's talking about when we don't learn from this. So before we forget this year, take a moment for a good inventory. So we, we're in good company here with these people, but so we don't duplicate those mistakes that many times have just taken over us. And Joseph, he grew up, and there's really not much wrong with him. He had a, a great life, if you would think being in prison, sold as a slave is an okay life, but he did okay. The problem he kind of got into was, as he told his brothers the dream that God had given him, how they're all going to bow down to him, it's kind of like he's saying, I'm really blessed by God and I'm proud of it. If you look in Moses' life, his struggle was, I messed up last time, so God, I don't care if you keep this bush burning and we talk all day. I don't want to go back to Egypt. Don't make me. I don't know really who you are. I don't know how this is going to work, so just get somebody else. If you've ever bailed out and said, God, I don't want to do this, and it's your responsibility or my responsibility, just remember, God's going to be with you through that. Don't worry. He's going to go before you and go right next to you, and His Spirit will be inside your heart. Joshua struggled with following Moses, and he thought, I I'm afraid. I don't know if you're going to be like me. And God finally said, you be strong and be courageous, Joshua. I will be with you as I was with Moses. Samson said, had a whole other problem. I think he listened to too much Beach Boy music, singing, I wish they all could be Macedonian girls, you know. Because he chased the Philistine women all over the place, and finally Delilah got the best of him. He didn't want women of faith. He wanted women of excitement. And he paid a dear price with his eyes, if you know the whole story. The eyes that got him in trouble were gouged out by the Philistines. And yet he'd been set apart by God. Why? <laughs> he forgot. He failed to remember. Eli, later on as a priest, he didn't correct his sons. Boys will be boys. 
And that came back to bite them all. Samuel was right there with him, and, and Eli was the main father figure. And I'm sure Samuel at times said, man, I could have used a better father figure here. And he didn't totally duplicate what Eli had done. But Samuel, neither did he build integrity into the lives of his kids. He followed God, but he let his kids kind of go by the wayside. And trust me, that is every minister and pastor's greatest fear. That we'll save the world and lose our family. Don't forget, God wants to be with you no matter what. He can redeem anything that's happened in the past. You look at Saul as the first king, and God used him a little, but then he just wandered off, did whatever he thought, didn't care about God, didn't pray. And for Saul, it was as long as it was still all about him, he was fine. You look at David, and David had a moment of weakness uh, that led to adultery, that led to murder, that led to a lot of discipline from God, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of pain. And David would probably have said, I should have gone out to battle. I had no business being on the roof looking at my neighbor's wife that night. Solomon had 300 wives and over 600 political marriages, concubines. The Bible says at the end of Solomon's life, even though he was the wisest man apart from Jesus to ever live, he had made mistake after mistake in in those marriages because those ladies brought in all these foreign idols that late night he's sitting there lighting a candle to one idol after another, and his heart fell away from God. Even Paul said, the thing I should do, I wind up, uh, I, I shouldn't do, I wind up doing, and things that I should do, I never really get around to it. Now, I want you to know, the reason we take a moment to do a little highlight of the Old Testament is because the Old Testament is our heritage. Christianity is, is the fulfillment of, of Judaism. We have to understand that God promised His Son, the Messiah, would come and live and die for us and save us from our sins a long, long time ago. But people turned away and also, as leaders in all sorts of different ways. Maybe this year God is saying to you, do you realize that you, you've got a struggle here? And do you realize maybe that you need to take it seriously? And that leads us to the third question, do I want to be rescued? Do I really want God to to interrupt my life and help me out and deliver me from that? Or am I comfortable in my sin pattern? Am I comfortable just saying, no, I'm I'm fine. I'm good over here, God. You can leave me alone. Do you, and I really realize deep in our heart that if our message this next year is going to be to people who need to know who Jesus is, we have to know how much we have been saved from. Do you want to be rescued? In Romans 5 verse 8, it says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He loves you and I that much. In Isaiah, he goes ahead and gives more prophecy about a Messiah, and he says he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so we could be whole, whipped so that we could be healed. You see, God didn't want anybody when he sent his son to miss Jesus, to realize that we need to be saved, and there is only one way that you and I can be saved. It is not by getting a better handle on our life, having a few more disciplines, uh, losing some weight, getting better in our budgeting, getting our kids to the right school. Uh, All those things may have a great effect, but if we miss this essence of the gospel, 
of all we like sheep have gone astray and we need to be saved from our own entanglement with sin. God wants us to be saved by His Son. And He wants your family and He wants your friends and He wants those all around you and me to be able to hear this message. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, God saved you by His grace when you believe. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. We are His masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You see, when when you and I begin to let God do those things in us and through us, when we hold on to his great salvation and we realize that's something not just to hold on, but that's something to funnel and let other people know of the hope and the forgiveness that they can have in Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden great things happen. Last weekend was uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, my whole new role this year takes on various forms. And I'm uh, in that transition of uh, whether I'm maybe speaking oh, every couple of months or so here or helping out here or there, a little more pastoral care. I I'm actually taking time to pour into some other ministers, uh, not just in the area but beyond the area. And I've got about nine or ten guys that are going through some things in their own life at the church that uh, we'll keep in touch and mentor a little bit. And that, that's a, a, a real neat feel to be able to help a little bit, uh, help them down the road. But last weekend, being able to sit amongst everybody and most all of the services are hanging out with people in the lobby or high-fiving the volunteers who were here all weekend long and did a tremendous job. I loved hearing the story on video of Megan and Chris and their little daughter. Wasn't that amazing? It is so amazing when somebody tells their story. And when somebody tells their story and they re we begin to realize that they had been prayed for by some other people and God had gently, lovingly, graciously allowed them to come back here so further healing and wholeness and fellowship could take place and to realize that God is for us, not against us. And he doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us. He's right there with us the whole way. All of a sudden, our story of faith and whittled down in three minutes or less to be able to tell somebody uh, of what's happened in our life. And for most of us, our story is simply, I either didn't know God at all, and then I found him, and I've struggled from time to time, but I'm holding on, okay? How many would say that might be your story? You didn't really know God for a while, you found him, and now you're holding on tight. Would that be your story? Okay, now how, how many might have my story? I know who God was. I knew him at an early age, and I just wandered off. And I found my way back. And I'm holding on to his grace. How many would have that story? You knew better, okay? <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, you knew better, didn't you? <laughs> You'd be talking to me on that one. All of our stories are overshadowed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. I love this song by a guy named Big Daddy Weave. Wouldn't you love to have a name like that? Mine would be pudgy old George. His is Big Daddy Weave, okay? And in this song, he says, it's called My Story. If I told you my story, you'd hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you'd hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. If I should speak, then let it be. 
Now say these words with me if you would. Of the grace that is greater than all my sin. Of when justice was served and where mercy wins. Of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in. Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. You see, when he rescues you and me, even if we knew better, or even if it's the first time we've ever heard of the amazing grace of God, when he rescues us and that becomes our story, it's all about his story. My story never becomes bigger than his. Now, the last question I want to ask, finally, and don't you love it when the preacher says, finally? <laughs> you know what it means. Nothing. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it means I'm trying here, okay? Here, here's the final question. Am I certain about my final destination? Some of us at this point may say, okay, uh, I know we're made in God's image. George got that. Yeah, fearfully, wonderfully. Got that. Heard that a long time ago. Yep, I'm pretty aware that I'm sinful, need to be saved. Yep, I know Jesus is the only way. Got it. But you may struggle with number four. And if I could be so bold to say, if all of a sudden, right now, tonight, you got a phone call from a doctor that says your shelf life isn't what you thought it was, you would wonder that for a moment. Or you would say, I know that I know that I know. Now, I've wrestled through the years at times with, with, in conversations with people to let them know it's not about being good. <laughs> Have you done enough? The answer is no. You and I cannot do enough to save ourselves at all. Even the further question might come up for us, can we ever be certain? Because there are some folks, even believers, who would say, well, you never really know. God only knows, and he ain't telling, and we never can be certain about that. Matter of fact, in the early days when Jesus and Scripture was being written in the New Testament time, early days of the church, there was a group called the Gnosticisms, and if you've ever heard the word an agnostic, it means it's against Gnosticism, against knowledge, and if you would talk to a person today that is a believer, you'd say, oh, we have that in common. If you talk to a person who's an atheist, they would say, there is no God of any kind. If you talk to an agnostic, the agnostic would say, well, I'm kind of a believer, but you really can't know God, so why try? That's what an agnostic is. It's just a big word for copping out, you know. That's all it is. I want you to read this next verse with me. And you may need to have this one just kind of carved down, highlighted in your Bible. 1 John 5, 13. Let's say it together if you would. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Would you say those last, that last phrase again? So that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to know, Northside family, tonight, you can know. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt, and it has nothing to do with what you have done or what you haven't done. It has everything to do with what he did on the cross and whether our hope is in him. Ball game. <laughs> That's it. 
That's it in a nutshell. You and I can know. And so desperately, I want to know that you know. I want you to know tonight that you can know. God wants you to not know tonight that because of what his son Jesus did, if all of a sudden something bad happens, you can know. And it's not based on the things that you and I have done. It's based on his work on the cross, and it's based on our faith and our trust and hope in him. I remember a few years ago, the movie came out, Heaven is for Real. Well, Jesus said, heaven's for real. And he also said, hell is for real while we're talking about it. And he told a parable in Luke 16 about a rich man and Lazarus and how they both died and one went up and one went down. All of a sudden, the rich man's in torment and he's asking uh, if Abraham up there could get a hold of Lazarus and have him bring down a bucket of water or something because it's terrible down here. And, And here's the response. It says, Abraham said to him, son, Remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus, a poor beggar, had nothing. So he, now he's here comforted and you're in anguish. Besides, there's a great chasm separating us and no one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Jesus says, make no mistake, eternity is real. Heaven is real with God. Hell apart from God's separation is real as well. Philippians 1, Paul said, I want you to know something else. I want you to build on this hope that you have. I want you to have this conviction as you go into this new year, as we do it together. He says, for me to live, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. He says, it's an upgrade. Now we get to live with Christ in our hearts, the Holy Spirit by our side, in fellowship with God's people, able to make it through everything that goes on. He says, we're going to live for Christ, but when we die, it's going to be even better with him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we're fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. There is no waiting room. I don't know what you heard before. And I'm not sure where you heard it, but according to the word of God, when a believer in Christ leaves this life and our bodies wear out for whatever reason, our spirits go to be with him, and we are at home with the Lord. Make no mistake. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. You don't have to take a few laps around anything. We go to be with him. That's why after Paul described the humility of Jesus, how he left heaven and didn't count equality with God, something to be held on to, but he laid down his life for all of us. He says in verse 9, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's going to be every knee that will bow and every tongue that will confess that Jesus is the Son of God. So I hope that's where your hope is this year. Because at the end of Revelation in chapter 21, Jesus made sure that John got a glimpse so he could pass that on to us. 
And towards the end of that whole revelation, he said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Every knee, every tongue, every tear. Would you say that with me? Every knee every tongue and every tear. God says, every knee will bow before my son. He says, every tongue will confess he is the Lord of all. And when my family comes to be in heaven with me, whether those sad tears, happy tears, we ain't got time to figure that out. He will wipe them all away from us, from our eyes. One of the uh, final funerals I did in Las Vegas before um, coming here almost 20 years ago, was a fellow who, uh, he owned a circus, came back to the Midwest, one of those midways, all the rides, they called one another carnies, they called me a towner, you know, I'm not one of them. And he didn't come to church, but his daughter did. She said, would you mind preaching dad's funeral? She said, he was a believer, he just never really got around to church a whole lot. I said, I'd be honored to. She said, I got to warn you, there's going to be 300 carnival people there. All of a sudden, in my mind, I saw the greatest showman, you know, all the stuff going on around there, you know. And, and, uh, and, and she just said, don't, don't worry, we'll all be fine. Come over to the house, meet us, a few of us, and get comfortable because we're a different bunch. And I went over and hung out with him, and I was glad that I did. And I realized I had the opportunity of a lifetime to be able to preach to those folks who are on the road and entertaining a whole lot, all sorts of ways probably a little prone to what the road can do to you, and yet have that moment to be able to have 20 to 30 minutes of telling them how to find God, how to follow God. And they said, we may have a friend who sings at the end. We don't know if he can make it or not. We'll let you know. I said, okay. I live in the fourth quarter. Just let me know. And they gave me the nod when I was just about done before the closing prayer, like their friend is here. All of a sudden, here came an Elvis impersonator, a young one, okay, and he sat there through the whole thing, and he came up, and guess what song he was going to sing at the end? My way, of all things. I'd preached a half hour to live God's way. He comes and undoes the whole thing, you know? <laughs> but I have found out that Elvis impersonators, if they're not used to church, are very nervous in church. And he hyperventilated, and they had to carry him out halfway through the song. <laughs> I wanted to get up and say, I rest my case, you know, <laughs> but I didn't. That moment was a moment that I realized we have this chance to tell other people. I've, through the years, had to think long and hard about what is legacy all about. I'm really not that concerned, because if we live right, God takes care of that stuff. But I do think our legacy is all about living the way God wants us to live, loving the way God wants us to love, and leaving the way God wants us to leave. And when we leave this earth, we realize that that will be the moment 
that all of this that he's done for us will make sense and all that we've been through whether it makes sense at the time or not will be in the books had a friend talk with the other day who's facing a, a lot of treatment and possibly uh, not as long a life as, as they would hoped. And I, I'm not sure whatever to say in those times, but there's that phrase out of that Vince Gill song, go rest high on the mountain, son, your work on earth is done. Anybody know that next phrase? Go to heaven shouting, love for the Father and the Son. I want to make sure that whenever we go, we go shouting, amen? And it will be when we allow his story to overlap our story. When we allow him to use our words and our testimony, where all of a sudden people see us, they know us, they care for us that they hear his story much louder than ours. My prayer as we begin this new year is that we'll tell everybody his story. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great new year. We'll see you.